listening to Yesterday's News Today, the week of the 9th of January, 1902. A train collision at Park Avenue Tunnel has killed at least 15 people and injured 38. The incident occurred yesterday morning due to unaccountable blunders of an engineer who disregarded signals, which he says he did not see. The United Irish League, a leading force of unification in all Ireland, and independence for Britain, holds its convention in Dublin. We wish those parties the best. In Paris... A madame, believed to have been buried alive, was exhumed when a nurse reported her doubts of the lady's departed status. Upon opening her grave, a physician discovered the poor wretch had not died of yellow fever, but of asphyxiation. Even more horrifying was the second corpse in the grave, that of an infant child. In London, 56 new cases of smallpox have been discovered. Upward of 800 patients are now being rapidly treated. Additional accommodation is being built. The New York Journal is reporting that a Bulgarian clergyman has visited Miss Stone in Macedonia, where she is being held hostage. Miss Stone and Madame Circa are doing quite well, but the strain on them is terrible, says the clergyman. And finally, a child has tragically died at the hands of a toy soldier. So that was the news from the week of January the 9th, 1902. I'm Johnny. And I'm Shane. Should we do... You know, Stanley's philosophy of every Spider-Man issue is somebody's first issue of Spider-Man. Absolutely, we should explain our concept to our audience. So the concept of this podcast is that we give you news from the past, but we have a very specific format. Last week we did the first week of January, 1901. This week it's the second week of January, 1902. Next week, the third week, 1903. So this would be going out live on those weeks, but we're talking of a different year. So every episode is a new week and a new year. And it's pretty much just the way to start a conversation. Yeah, like it, it's it's a it's a complete gimmick, and we're going to like go into ridiculous things that aren't actually relevant to the week. Sometimes, maybe, although we haven't oh, yet I, I, on one well, episode. No, no, I think last week we talked about some stuff from the thirties, from the gecko, because we were talking about blimps. Yeah, but it was all stuff that at least had a basis, like it came from an illustration from. 1901 so it's not like we just start talking about the kennedy assassination out of nowhere no no although if we were talking about a different president being assassinated it might lead into that and that'd be fair yeah exactly what i'm saying is it's essentially a gimmick and nobody should get angry with us if we like completely abandon it at some point and just start talking about (laughs) random history stories that's a format i like though it's a good starting point no yeah really and like the original idea we were gonna just do like today in history oh yeah yeah but I'm like I figured you could actually like type like the date into Wikipedia and you could read the list of stuff in less time than it take to listen it'd to it. Probably our pod- be, uh, more accurate than what <laughs> we're talking about as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I just think our, this way is a bit more fun to like ha- be tied to a certain week because then we have to look for funny, interesting stories like rather than just covering like a war or something. Yeah, except I didn't really do my homework again this week. <laughs> <laughs> well, be prepared to be disappointed by the amount I've done too. <laughs> so yeah, the first story there was the uh, train crash, which was at Park Avenue. It happened on the 8th of January, 1902, which was in the Park Avenue Tunnel. And this was a steam train flashed into the back of another one. And at the time in Grand Central Station, it was very busy that up to there'd be a train coming in one every 45 seconds. And these were big, big, powerful steam trains. And what happened was one of the engineers, the driver, claimed he didn't see this stop signal as he was coming in. And he just rear-ended straight into the back of another train, killing 15 people instantly. From what I can read there, we came across reports of that there were 17 dead, others were 15 dead. So from what I can figure, 15 were killed initially, and then more people died as, as a result of their injuries. But there was up to 38 others. 
and the descriptions are people were bloodied and burned others saying that they were they gave really good words like odd word descriptions of people being bludgeoned and people being surrounded like that the basically the main part of the engine i'll give you a little description here it's really oddly written back from newspapers back then but there was a din of breaking glass and crackling woodwork the boiler of the engine was inside the wrecked car of the train in front of it wow uh, dead and wounded were on each side and in front of this boiler which was filled with boiling water and steam the force of the engine's impact had telescoped the rear car onto the car head so the passengers who were sitting in the forward portion of the car were like thrown backwards and all this kind of stuff and another one of the cars was kind of tilted upwards from the force we're just going to go to show you like the size and the weight of these things at the time compared to like our modern electric well even our diesel trains that we have yeah we're, but we're kind of getting rid of now but uh just the weight of like a big steam train so so you had like this huge cylinder boiler which is just filled with like boiling water which is running the turbines and that just like is jettisoned through the car so you're sitting there reading the paper or whatever and then suddenly this huge boiler just comes <laughs> straight towards you like coming through so i'm not surprised that many people died I mean, I don't, I don't even, I don't want to be in a diesel train crash either. But if I was to choose, it sounds like this. This sounds like a horrible way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you see, because I've only heard this mentioned before, I didn't know there was even two trains involved. I always thought it was just like derailed randomly or something. That's mm-hmm. and and they describe it as the uh, worst disaster in New York history at the time. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I should have read up to see uh, what happened since. This was the worst disaster in new york at the time or yeah yeah or absolutely and train it's, it seems like the story dominated papers for like three days the big big thing it was, a, it was I imagine at right? the time it was probably actually the biggest disaster well, we were um, talking last week about like blimp disasters and stuff i yeah. can imagine well like trains have been around quite a while at this point but yeah that's it is this um wh- where is this train is this underground like it's park avenue tunnel but that's not like a subway is it no, it's on collision is in uh, Park Avenue Railroad Railroad Tunnel at Fifty Sixth Street. The tu- it's called that's the name of the tunnel is Park Avenue Tunnel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was at Fifty Sixth Street near the station, right? Where it actually happened. The worst railroad disaster that ever occurred on Manhattan Island. But that's what they said in the paper in on the ninth of January, nineteen o two. Do you know how many people would have been on the train to begin with? No, I can't really find any details. Because I wonder how like what would be a typical passenger carriage or anything like that. Because you know, maybe fifteen's a good result. Like maybe you know, if there was like, if there was five hundred on it and only fifteen died, that's good going. Yeah, and only thirty-eight others in. Yeah, like, I can't imagine. But if there was that fifty way. people on it, then that's pretty bad. Like, oh, okay, that that was a bad day for everyone. <laughs> then like two people walked out of it. One of them was Bruce Willis. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's a, there's a picture here in this article I was looking at, and it's that train is in bits. <laughs> like, the, 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 uh, I'll show you there. Oh, that's yeah, that's pretty bad. Obviously, the train is made mostly out of wood with a slight metal framing, but like that is just crumbled. <laughs> it's like in complete pieces, shattered wood. All the glass is nearly gone. Yeah, that was a bad day for everyone, I think. Oh, people didn't show up to work that day, I imagine. No, no. But I suppose it's 1902, so you probably, like, you show, up, you show up to work and you're like, sorry, boss, there was a train crash. It's like, um, yeah, I don't care, you're late. You're fired. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, didn't you hear about it in the news? It's like, no, 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 you're fired. My arm's hanging off, boss. I can't shovel coal. It's like, I don't care. What are you going to do, tell your union? <laughs> <laughs> What's that banging? 
Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's no, there the, was a banging, but... maybe it's the ice cream man. Yeah, knocking on the door. We mentioned. Did we mention? We mentioned that? this last week. Right. I think. I pretty. Yeah, we I'm could not have. too sure, but really bizarrely, where where we're recording, there's. It it is seven o'clock in the evening, and it's a very very foggy. T- uh, yeah, it's Silent Hill level of fog out there. We were just setting up here doing some sound tests, and there was this awful creepy uh, ice cream van. There's one that seems to come around here most nights, but it's particularly freaky on a foggy <laughs> evening. And it's out of tune, like the. The melody that's playing is really like it sounds like a number station. It just yeah, it's kind of it's, really it's like it's, it's kind of like it's broken. It's like yeah, it hits, yeah. hits every like third or fourth note correctly. It's just like yeah, it's that really creepy kind of Stephen King vibe. Yeah, like it, it clown. So shall we move on to the next story? Um, yeah, I mean, well, that's I mean, yeah, I guess what more can you say about that? But I think I think the main thing to take away from that is the power and the weight of the steam engine. Of what it caused. Like, they went fast, but they didn't go anywhere near as fast as the trains today. When did the steam engine start to disappear? It stayed around for a while. Like, it's something, like, and especially here in Ireland, I'd say. It was yeah. something that was continued in use up to, say, 60s, 50s, 60s. Yeah. Say, that they started refining them a bit better. And even in America, you still... M- like, most stuff like that, I'd say, would have continued. It's, see, all post-war, then they had another kind of industrial revolution. And started changing over these things but i imagine one or two i mean sorry but i imagine with that being new york with the city and all like they're probably one of the first to move from steam especially as a result of of something like this that probably yeah probably isn't ideal for a city and steam steam power itself yeah because they take well they had tunnels same say london the london underground would have been around this time i think they built it in i know i knew this from before but i'm going to throw it a random uh shane date here of a Eighteen ninety, around they started building the underground, the London Underground, and I imagine the steam engines were quite big. It was very difficult, so they probably started start started looking for other solutions. Well, before that, yeah, and I'd say you're probably like that was just a guess for eighteen eighty seven. Oh, totally, but it's probably. You know what we should do? We should just like (laughs) just get sound bites of me of us both saying every date, (laughs) (laughs) and then when we make them really kind of like. So I'll be like, oh, well, I think it was 1887. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't like last week, I made so many guesses. I've written down a few yeah. dates this week, though, just to, because, like, uh, dates are hard to remember. There's yeah, There's yeah. been so many dates. The correct date, I've just looked it up here, is 1890. Yeah, I'll give you that. That was pretty good. Is there much more to say about that, or do you want to move on? Yes, Johnny, let's move on to our next story. <laughs> well, the ne- if, if we go in order of the newsreel that played, it's the Miss Stone affair, which I never heard of before. Have you? No? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess most people haven't, because there seems to be very little information out there. Well, actually, okay. I mean, you Google it, you find stuff, obviously. But even, like, you know, the Wikipedia is maybe, like, two paragraphs. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting enough... Uh, getting like, and I... I'm just. This is just stuff I've learned recently, so it's not going to be the most in-depth thing. But it was a kidnapping of an American Protestant missionary called Ellen Maria Stone, and a friend of hers, a pregnant woman called Katrina Silka. Yeah, they were kidnapped by a liberation army, a national liberation movement in the Ottoman territories. No way. And then, like, they were operating in the late 19th, early 20th century. They were looking for autonomy from the 
Ottoman Empire and they wanted to become back part of Bulgaria. So kidnapped this woman, this American woman, to uh, pretty much just get a ransom to they did just need financial aid, like they had no like beef with <laughs> with her or anything. Yeah, and it became this uh, huge, huge story. You know, the first, I guess, the first hostage crisis or the first American hostage crisis in history. Wow. So kind of a cool one. But yes, yeah, so, uh, go a bit more into it. Like the um, was international hostage crisis. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, it wasn't yeah, like she was a political prisoner. It was just more they thought, oh, she'll do. Or I think they were like. It wasn't, they didn't just come across her by chance though, like they were aiming for her, like the new okay, missionary, yeah, yeah. or maybe not her particularly, but they were aiming for a missionary and somebody, yeah. probably her age, and that's, you know, somebody. They wanted to capture the media's attention. Basically, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, that's, a, I assume that's, but yeah, so like the story at the front, that, that's you know, from this week in 1902, and that's just a clergyman was allowed to visit her see how she was doing oh yeah this this is this is one of the cheats of our format is that we 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 discussed this and it's like yeah if something relating to a much bigger event just happened to happen that week like this is a very good example yeah of she was kidnapped obviously well before this but this clergyman was late go visit her the exactly. week 1902 so this is a news story that would have been in the news yeah in that week in 1902 and it gives us leeway and entry to talk about the whole thing even yeah, though it might yeah. actually be like it might have started you know, two, three weeks before. She, she was kidnapped in on September 3rd, 1901. So Wow. So there um, you go. Um, which actually, yeah, that kind of says how long she's been. And she's still there in, yeah. now. On the, well, this story this story's from the 8th, and she stays there a while. Okay, yeah, so this happened the 3rd of September, 1901. That she was kidnapped originally. she was kidnapped originally, and it was just before the new year that this clergyman went to visit her. And you know he's just came back, so he's it's only been, his visit's only been reported now, but this would have still happened. Oh, he visited him back uh, in November. Way, yeah, oh, in November. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the speed of news back in 1902 <laughs> compared to. Uh... Oh yeah, and like, this, like I'm skipping ahead, but at this point when like January 9th, I think around now they thought they were dead. Oh okay, yeah. Dead. No, no one had checked on them basically. There was rumours being spread that they were dead, but I think it might have just been applied to sort of quicken up the negotiation to actually oh, yeah. get the ransom. So actually, yeah, skipping way ahead. So originally in September 1901, uh, a convoy that Miss Stone was travelling in with 12 other uh, Protestant missionaries was, they were all taken captive and they let most of them, or let them all go, but took Miss Stone because she was a leader, like we said. She'd yeah. be worth something, yeah. but they also took, uh, which is kind of kind of nice in a weird way. But they took um, Katrina Silka because they thought she would she would keep Miss Stone company <laughs> essentially, <laughs> and it, because Miss Stone she was an older woman, so like to take care of her. Oh, okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So you know, so her, she was probably a distinguished woman, I'd say. Some, yeah, some right. Yeah, and she seems like. And she's like seems like one of the, a good Christian woman as opposed to like last week we talked about um, uh, Carrie Nation. Carrie Nation, yeah, and like her, she, and her whackers or whatever, her yeah, smashers. Sorry, this one seemed like a, a good version of that. Um, also, like these kids, they, they get quite interesting. So <laughs> there's all these stories that she she was like quite a, a powerful woman, not not intimidating like Carrie Nation, but just you know would take control of the situation. Oh, just a strong, confident woman. Yeah. So there's all these um, legends that once the gorillas kidnapped her, that uh, she sort of took control of the group. <laughs> in, a, in a sense that she took over, but <laughs> that she became to like, uh, you know, 
make sure they were cutting their nails. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, teaching them stuff. And yeah, yeah, and she was just like telling them that. Oh, so she's kind of like, these are all a bunch of savages now. Let me teach you all how to be proper yeah, yeah, human yeah. beings. Well, and... proper soldiers as well. Yeah, like, yeah. that they didn't, you know, they didn't keep their boots shiny and stuff. Like. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're like, no, that's probably true. I, I, I believe point of that well there's some probably exaggerated that like the guy who brought her a food she'd be like your nails are filthy clean them and, <laughs> and then the next day he came along with clean nails she's like that's better mm. and so stories like that spread on you know yeah i'm sure there were a few like the, there definitely was a bit of stockholm syndrome which well i think that you can't you probably can't like be captive for i think she think she was over a year or so over a year oh yeah yeah it was i think it might have been longer i've got it written down somewhere Oh, they were definitely there a while. So, of course, like, if you don't identify with your captive by that point, like, no, no. what are you going to do? I wonder, did she actually just take control of the whole army? <laughs> I, like, I, I wish I, I, yeah. I wish I found, because I only found out about when, when I was, like, doing last minute research, I came across this last night. So, oh, okay. yeah, I wish I had more time to, like, read a book on it or something, because it's like, I probably will. It sounds really good. No, Well, there is, like, re- some really nice stories. There was one day Miss Stone was uh, apparently really down. Like that scene in Misery, and one of the have you seen you've seen Misery? Well, there's a, people know what I mean, but yeah, one of the gorillas like was concerned about her, and so he asked her friend, and she was like, "Oh, it's Thanksgiving," and I guess she dismisses her family, and he told all the other gorillas, and they like they didn't know what Thanksgiving was, and so they went out and hunted a turkey, <laughs> <laughs> and like they had a Thanksgiving dinner. She probably cooked it all for them and everything. Yeah, but like that's pretty. That's that's sweet. It's like, ah, come on, lads, we'll help her on. Do you think they all sat around and like said what they were thankful for? And she's like, I'm very thankful that I met all these lovely young <laughs> gentlemen. Take care of me. But the thing is, like, even though that seems like a really, you have to. These are still like in a war, and they're trying to get like independence. Not like yeah. they're still probably prepared to kill her. Oh yeah. <laughs> So that that was a nice thing. Also, the um, because the, there was the pregnant woman, the pregnant friend, and they helped with the birth. Yeah, well, Miss Silke. Was yeah, pregnant, yeah. Was she? Oh yeah. Sorry, did I uh, did I miss that? No, no. Yeah, you missed that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Or sorry. I I missed that anyway. I don't know if that was. Yeah, she was pregnant. So and I th- like she was pretty far gone at the time they kidnapped her, but they still they didn't know. I guess they just thought she was because they, they <laughs> maybe they just thought she was fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, they took her to help Miss Stone. So. Like they wouldn't have taken a pregnant woman had they known. Oh yeah, like it, it's horrible and dark, but most you just imagine like most in modern cases they just kill the baby. Oh, very sadly. But no, they helped her give birth and like kept the baby with them, and <laughs> they changed nappies. Like, <laughs> but at this point, yeah, well they've had the baby. Uh, we're in like February now. This goes on forever, and. Uh, people are kind of thinking the ransom isn't going to be paid so some of them suggest killing them and just being done with it like especially they're traveling around like during like during the war and they got a baby with them (laughs) (laughs) an old woman yeah you're not you're not going to be uh too stealth like when you got an infant child with you but yes i've got a quote here one of them suggested killing them and the leader said if we kill them we kill ourselves and our cause before the people actually let us all die if we must but let's not hurt our cause yeah, so yeah some nice words again like there's a lot there is information about this out there I, I don't know too much i just heard about it but they were released on february 23rd 1902 okay so not as long as i'd said so 173 days to spend wow. which is it's long enough like 
Yeah, the guys were paid the ransom, although not the full amount. They got like half in the end and they settled. Do you know how much the ransom was at the time? Uh, well, it's ten pounds. <laughs> well, okay. fourteen thousand Turkish gold liras, but I don't know what. Oh yeah, what's that worth today? There is. It's a, probably worth a lot more now if you had those uh, gold liras. <laughs> they're actually, yeah. they're probably worth more in there, weight in gold if they're actually gold. Probably, yeah. I, w- I will read up more about it. There is a, there's a few things actually. Most of the information, like there's a an article on novanite.com. I don't even know what that is, but uh, Ivan Dickoff wrote it good name but so just that's the only place i got any of that information and that article is much much longer i just have bullet points there's also an audio book on audible called the miss stone affair by Teresa carpenter which i was going to read but only had a few hours so it's, oh yeah it's and probably a lot more interesting than, <laughs> than our podcast and there is a there is a, a like a turkish film called miss stone on youtube oh really from like like 1958 so it's in the public domain so it's on youtube ah, okay. yeah so like there is stuff out there but um so yeah it'll surely be much better than what I, like i, I feel no, I, mine I, wasn't helpful at all <laughs> <laughs> no it's an interesting situation and that it got so much kind of media coverage at the time so you're saying it's one of the first kind of hostage sorry american hostage situation I, I really like the idea that she turned into like a mammy pretty much to, For them, yeah. to all these rough soldiers that were living out in forests like yeah I, and I, I don't know much about their what, what was going on there but I imagine it was you kind of think of the, you kind of think of them as like Robin Hood's that's yeah. and then she comes along and like she's like you're you all stink and like starts making <laughs> yeah. them wash and Teach them how to cook properly and yeah, like I really want. I want. I like stuff like sewing their clothes because they're like they're just like uh, their clothes are in bits and raggy. Yeah, yeah. And they're, just, <laughs> they're just like men who who just don't have a woman. Probably should have left that story until later in the podcast because like, to start with the one, you know, absolutely not. <laughs> we, we should have warmed up a bit. Yeah, you uh, you want to do a murder of the week? It's something I thought would be good because uh, th- I imagine if you search the world somewhere every week of every year of the last century there has to be at least a murder somewhere in some country oh yeah definitely surely hopefully <laughs> <laughs> well I, ha- I have one this we we didn't have this in the newsreel because oh i like surprises yeah well I, I don't know how it would be phrased in the newsreel either it's just something i came across in a an australian newspaper and it's uh was it somebody murdered by australia because that happens all the time the tohita tragedy this story's called I think okay. Tohita. Have you ever heard that before? No, no. Yeah, it's it's like it, it seems like it's probably a bit unknown. It's a small farming community in South Australia, so I'm probably safe enough. So I got this from an article. This is from like the sixth uh, of January and the eighth. This was during the trial, or not trial, but the inquest. Right. The setup is this is in this guy uh, Matty's Chipan, though in some I've seen him called Martin Chipan too. So he uh, had been living on this farm for 30 years and he had a family and it was like a, a compound. He had a cottage and, you know, a couple of farm buildings and he built this new house on the land and that's where the family were living. So and I know like it was pretty established, but um, they were like very private family. Yeah, so he had, you know, he's married, he had two sons names august and william and two daughters mary and bertha so where this story starts is pretty much new year's day or new year's yeah new year's day just after midnight on new year's eve pretty much the parents were away they were staying with relatives 
celebrating New Year's and the two sisters were staying in this new house that was built. That was now the family home and the cottage, the two brothers were living in that. Oh, right. So it's still the family living together, but, you know, I guess oh, yeah. the... There was a cottage out back. Like, Get our own place. Yeah, yeah. So they're looking for a uh, bachelor pad. Because <laughs> I heard there was these two hot chicks in the house across the road. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the parents are away and the two sisters are staying here. And in the words of Mary, this is the oldest... Sorry, just ages. Did I say the ages? No, you didn't. No. Yeah, sorry. August, the brother, the oldest brother, he's 18. And then William's 16. And the daughters, Mary's 24. And Bertha's just 13. They're staying in the the new house, the big house. The boys are running around the cottage naked going, Bachelor Pie! <laughs> They're in the, co- the old cottage that was there originally. And so in Mary's words, sorry, and yeah, this is where, where the story actually gets interesting. Uh, on that New Year's Eve, that, that fateful night, she awoke with a man laying across from her. She would later claim that a scream might have woke her up, but the first thing she saw when she woke up was a man lying over her and lying over her well like hovering over her she was in bed like you oh, know okay, like, yeah. coming for her pretty much and uh, he had a knife and after a bit of a scuffle she managed to escape and ran, ran across the to the cottage where <laughs> the Did butters you? were hazing some new <laughs> some new members of the fra oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> she ran across to or well down in a big compound the, the cottage yeah. is still down the road so she ran down to the two brothers and told them that there was a man in the house. Funnily, they, they don't actually go back and check because the sister's still in there. And what? Why, why go and check if there's a man in there with a knife? So instead he runs to a neighbour, which is actually like half a mile down the road. <laughs> um, to, he wants to get help from them and he leaves, the, he leaves Mary and the younger brother. August, sorry, this guy August runs to the neighbours. And that neighbour just says, oh, well, just go to the, the police and like the local constable lives just down the road again so he runs to him like so i don't know how long that three days later he gets back i don't know how like that still probably takes at least half an hour oh yeah um so they all come back or he comes back with the constable and then all of them go into the house and yeah they find the younger sister dead as you can guess from the start of that story it's where it was going and she yeah she had her throat slit uh, wow. Well, and like stabbing, she was pretty roughed up. She was stabbed like five times in the face, essentially. And apparently, the house was just a complete wash with blood because she had the, uh, her the struggle had taken her throughout the house. Like so, oh, so like chased her around the house. Yeah, yeah. She escaped, grabbed her in one room, like three rooms. The the crime scene was pretty much wow, three rooms. Terrific. She, yeah, and really, the the president said she died in the parents' room. So oh. she obviously went to her, like she knew her parents it, weren't there, but as she, as she was fading, she yeah. probably just went for help in her parents' room. And yeah, just two weeks shy of her 14th birthday. So it's a lovely story. Lovely. So yeah, straight away there was an inquest held on site in one yeah. of the uh, buildings on the farm. It became a huge story. Like, so yeah, once the inquest started, like newspapers just started flooding to the town. It was it was a big thing, and do, do, can you guess where it's going? I'm assuming it's probably going somewhere that one of the brothers killed her or something. Now, close. Uh, the coroner pretty much straight away announced that he had, the evidence seemed to point that she was murdered by the older sister. Ah, uh, of course. They found pieces of the blouse that Mary was wearing yeah. throughout 
all the rooms that oh, okay. this the younger sister had ran to during the assault and they also found clumps of hair that might have matched mary's again like no dna at this time they're no, no. they're just matched based on color and texture yeah, yeah. but and also like they noticed that mary had washed up that night oh, okay. um and she had freshly washed hair and all this and and even they found traces of blood so yeah they, they determined she she was probably probably guilty straight away so yeah uh, and that was just the inquest the trial won't be held for a while not until march so it's, so it's looking very likely that uh the older sister killed the younger sister well during the inquest anyway the coroner found or what he thought was enough evidence at that point anyway to, to point to her doing it so they had a trial in march during the trial like papers really went nuts with detailed coverage of her of it Oh, yeah. And it emerged that uh, Mary was having improper relations with a local labourer called uh, Gustav Nietzschek. Oh, <laughs> and had been for, for quite a while. Unmarried young woman like that? Yeah, well, that's what's really good. Like When they brought his, her relationship with him up in the trial, they, they like said he was paving her attentions. Whatever that means. <laughs> paving her attentions? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you see, again, like I read that on one of those old newspapers that had been scanned electronically. Oh, yeah. to, so I'm not sure if that's actually the word they used. Yeah, well, what would it be? Paving her attentions? What would they? What would that actually mean? No idea. I just realized that was a conversation we had before. Actually, the, we is, should explain. Is that, that. is that like hands over clothes? Or <laughs> <laughs> but it, we should explain what the electronic thing, the scan I was just talking about was. Yeah, I was looking at this earlier on articles as well about the train crash and that kind of stuff. Is There's a lot of websites now that will give you... They scan a newspaper, an old newspaper, but it seems to be a very... You can't zoom in on it and look at it yourself. What it does is the software reads, say, the paragraph, and kind of... So you're relying on software to auto-read it. So a lot of words get mixed up because it's old print being read by a computer... Basically, so yeah, you end yeah. up with really odd sentences running into each other. It doesn't seem to read full stops very well and stuff. So they're a very good starting point for research. But then as you kind of get on, they, sometimes they might be the only source of material for certain things. And that's, exactly, that's what's happened. Yeah. I like the idea of uh, well, paving think, her attention. So. But I think, like, I, think it, I think paving her attention, that sounds like a really classical term and not like paving her attention. Like, the alternative is he was paying her attention. Like paying attention to her, yeah. But yeah. then, does that just mean he was stalking her? Like, you know, that's that just seems like a really weird way. Like, not that this is any better. This is a weird phrase, but it just sounds like it might have been a term that you know, yeah. a hundred years ago. So I won't. He was making something out of her attentions. But anyway, yes. <laughs> um, we, we went into that way too much. But I, well, I think we kind of need to, to explain why, like, certain words make because, like, like in the buried alive thing at the start. Like it's Madame, but like that kept on showing up of just like three M's and an E. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, so I was just guessing like it has to be Madame. It sounds yeah. And plus it sounds old timey and sounds funny in the newsreel thing. So this Gustav guy in, in in court prosecution made the case that the deed was either prompted by jealousy, arising from an invitation that Gustav made to Berta, the younger oh, sister. Okay. He'd been seeing Mary, but he might have... He's playing the long game. He invited Bertha. Also, remember that Bertha's 13. Yeah. Um, so he might have invited her to, on some trip with him for New Year's. And Mary might have been jealous about this. So that her sister was getting... The, t- the paving <laughs> of, uh, of Gusto. Yeah. yeah. But also, they all... Or, it might have been that. Or it might have been that Mary's misbehaviour... 
was witnessed by her. Was witnessed by Berta, who might have told the father, who was very strict. Yeah. Which both, both, both things are opposites. But it does come up later, like this Gustav guy. Yeah. I, I have a quote, but uh, this might shed some light on. You like this, right? So this is, uh, he was asked, just during the trial, he was called to uh, testify. Who was Gustav or the father? Gustav. Yeah. And that's what he said. I have known the accused about 12 months. I also knew Berta. I was at Japan's house on last Sunday in the old year. Mary was at home, but not Berta or the parents. I have been keeping her company. I stayed for tea. Then he says, Berta came home at 8pm. Mary and I were then on the kitchen sofa. Berta sat down on the other sofa in the same room and then went to bed, closing the door after her. It was dark. I asked Berta if she would come again. This is one of the, I don't know, Australia. So I would ask her if she would come to some place he wanted to go to uh, with me. And she replied, yes, if I am allowed. Why don't you ask Mary? Mary did not reply. So it sounds like, <laughs> he was courting this Mary, this twenty-four-year-old, yeah. and then invited her, Started, like hitting on her thirteen-year-old <laughs> sister. <laughs> so yeah. it sounds like he might have been the one that deserved the, <laughs> the stabbing. Yeah, it sounds like he's just kind of hanging around the house, being all like, "I love me some ladies," and just like just chatting them up. And... But also, he could have been like, we're, like we're um, automatically going into the creepy thing. But oh, I know, could yeah. have just been like he was like. Oh, her younger sister, I'll bring her out for it. I'll bring her to the zoo. Yeah, Like, yeah. But the idea... Like, that... I'll drive you and your friends to cinema kind of thing. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. So it might be like that. But I, the jury, or the jury, sorry, the prosecution was making the case that it was jealousy because of this that Mary killed Bertha. So obviously, right. at the time, they didn't think it was an innocent invitation. So I guess yeah. we shouldn't either. But anyway, so yeah, he says that incident, that happened, and he left, and... Yeah, his final, like, quote, I'd visited Japan's house for 12 months as an honourable sweetheart of Mary. So, that's... their so hands overclosed, then. <laughs> and, yeah, he he, he, was, he was never a suspect or anything. As far as he knew, he, he didn't even think Mary was a suspect. He, he, he Until the trial, obviously. Oh, right. But uh, when he was originally uh, questioned, he didn't... He just assumed it was some stranger had done it all. Oh, yeah. But he was he was portrayed as the villain in the press anyway, which kind of understandably because it kind of comes know. across there like yeah he was. Well, he sounds like a weirdo. I don't under, I don't understand. Yeah, anything. I'm trying to figure out the context of that. Like it's even in 1902 terms, just I mean, this where, where does that like scenario come up where like you're dating a girl and then you're just like to her younger sister, hey, I want to take you out to you know. I'm, how about we go to the carnival this weekend? Just <laughs> yeah. you and me. And then she's like, oh, I'd love to, but I'd need permission. He's like, why don't you ask your sister? There might be some of that that I'm getting wrong. Again, like you explained. The translation the, yeah, because I'm, I'm getting most of this from, from yeah. the original. I'm, from the article that uh, was printed during the inquest in January and the trial later in March. This stuff's yeah. from the trial. But so it could just be that. But either way. It, I, I think we probably have it right because he was betrayed as the villain in the press. So yeah, but he was never considered a suspect in the murder. No, no, just I, I, villain, just because this, that stuff he said, and because he was such a weirdo that maybe like I, I, maybe they were going the route it was his fault. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's just sitting up in the courthouse, being like, "Yes, yeah, so I asked you to the carnival," and they're like, "Did you not see a problem with that?" 
She's a good looking girl. <laughs> He's just totally like, doesn't see a problem with any of this situation whatsoever. They're like, that's a very strange thing to ask this young girl. You know, no, man, you, you know, go to the carnival, have some candy. You could go anywhere. And apparently because of him, uh, the public sympathy kind of increased for Mary. I guess just hearing that this was the guy she had to put up with. But yeah, and he was attacked when he left the court that day. Wow. Um, so you had to get like a, a police detail with him for future hearings, which probably didn't last too long anyway. But so it's kind of saying that his, he, he corrupted Mary into being a lunatic. Yeah, well, I, I guess his, him, when he talks about inviting Bertha out... That might be him explaining, like, the whole, the jury, the, I keep saying the jury, but the, the prosecution's, like, theory that it was either Mary was jealous or Bert had found out they were having sex. That might have been him explaining their theory, saying, like, oh, no, she definitely wasn't jealous that I asked her out. I asked her out to sort of be friendly and take her out of the house for the day. Yeah, yeah. So he might have just meant it in that And that's, that actually probably is it. That, that was probably him arguing that, no, that wasn't weird. I was just, like, inviting out. My yeah, girlfriend's yeah. younger sister. Yeah. Because he mentioned, sorry, yeah, he went on in that to mention that Bertha had no knowledge that him and Mary were an item. So it sounds like they're oh, still okay. hiding. So he's just a, the friendly farmhand kind of. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, oh, you want to go to that show? I'll bring you, sure. You know, so yeah, like yeah. if anything, he was probably asking out Bertha to sort of distract over from, the parents, maybe. Well, to distract from, like, he was wor- they were worried that they would cop to him and Mary's relationship. So he's like, well, look, I'll just be friendly with everybody. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, people will never question I'm joining, why. I'm joining your brother's fraternity tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good callback. But, you know, once sex is involved, you can make anybody look bad in 1902. So oh, yeah. it just sounds like they were... Because initially when you mentioned that there was this relationship with Fireman, I imagine, like, she walked in on them doing it, and she's like, you better not tell mom and dad. She's like, I'll tell them. It's like, and get the kitchen knife, and it just escalates. <laughs> Way too far. Yeah, yeah. Or it could be completely the other way around that maybe there was some, you know, wandering psychopath who decided to murder the girl. And the reason Mary's story is so messed up is because she was off in the barn, your man, <laughs> and then comes back and, and discovers, like, that. just blood everywhere. It's like, what? And she's like, no one's going to believe. They, they expected that I was in bed. So she's like, oh, yeah, there's a man standing over me, even if she didn't witness it, you know. It's funny because I'm noticing a team, like, we had a very similar conversation last week with Alfred Packer. Oh, yeah. And towards the end, I, I told you all the, all, all the possibilities of what he'd done. And then towards the end, I was like, however. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mary was acquitted. Okay. Because it was all circumstantial evidence. Oh, yeah. And there's actually very little to tie Mary to the girl's murder at all. Although, back then, cases were, like, most murder cases were acquitted back then. Because oh, yeah. there was always very little to tie people to. But in this one in particular, uh, the brother testified that all the blood found on Mary's clothes was from a sheep they had killed earlier that day. Of course, they, they couldn't tell the difference between no, yeah, sheep and no. human DNA or anything. Oh, yeah. But, it, and... He described it perfectly, and the knife that was used, and there was only, like, one sort of solid butcher. That's, you never actually found a knife. Oh, okay, that could have done it. Yeah, well, they found, like, uh, now this one is a bit weird, because the brother might have been defending his sister, because he told this very weird story. I think this is the, I'm not sure which brother this was, actually, but they're both very close, one's 16, one's 18. But one of them told this story about that night on that New Year's Eve, 
when him and him and the other brother came home from working in the fields, they went into the house and had some cake with the two sisters. And he very specifically told to use like a bread knife because they they only have one good knife, and we keep that in in the out kitchen. Oh yeah, and that's the one they used to like slaughter the yeah, yeah, yeah slit the throats of animals. Yeah. And you know that's the only one that would have cut. You know would have. Well, yeah, you probably kill somebody with any knife, but you know that's one that would be more associated as a murder weapon. So he's like, if I was going to kill them, I'd use that knife. Yeah, he kept mentioning that that and that was locked away, not locked away, but you know, yeah, kept safe, and that one wasn't used from what they could tell. Oh, so okay, it, yeah. he he seemed to like be very adamant that that be on the record. But yeah, according to him, like the, with the evidence he gave, it sounded like it didn't acquit her completely. But yeah, it still calls into question. Like this, and uh, the stuff with hair, the hair being found. There was also like the defense argued that well, they both had the same color hair. Uh, uh, they yeah. were sisters. <laughs> like, there's no way you could actually suppose, really. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like even yeah, there was very little. So quite possibly there was just a wandering madman which happens quite a lot in history like we've got plenty of axe crazy axe murders and stuff so it could have been just that she was and she was acquitted but reputation did she marry gustav and live happily ever after no no not at all she was the family moved away from the town because yeah well i suppose they probably had to after all that yeah well and she's still living with them which is just whether she'd done it or not how does that family dynamic work after that she died not like she died young enough she was only in her 40s when she died she lived with her mother for most of her life afterwards oh yeah so uh, she probably t- didn't marry them well just because you mentioned gustav uh years later like or decades like uh gustav's family put forth a theory that the father done it oh okay there's not in backup at all. It's just a theory that exists. And, and his family. So that's just like... Yeah. It's one like, of his kids is just like, what if the dad did it? And he never went away that night. <laughs> Apparently, though, like, there's not much about this story out there. But th- So the family just seemed... They were, they were kind of known to be a bit odd anyway. So, yeah. It, like, she probably did do it. It sounds like she probably... Right. Unlike last week where we thought Alfred Packer might have been innocent after all uh mary Chapin probably was guilty like halfway through the article when i was trying to put stuff together my instinct was to be like eh, this gustav's guy uh, he probably done it but he actually had an alibi for the night he was with a friend for new year's so he at least with, he was with the 13 year old girl from across the road <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it does seem like mary probably done it well maybe not she was maybe. acquitted you can't judge yeah, yeah. The, you know the law says what the law says. Mm. I'm I'm really interested about uh, the other story there we had of the woman dug up from her grave uh, with a, with a baby. Yes. Yeah, so what's your just hearing that? Like, what's your opinion? Just uh, 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 from start, what's your opinion? Like, does that sound like is that bullshit? There wasn't enough. Disc- like, I only I only read the headline, so yeah. I, which was that it was found that she died of asphyxiation and that she had a baby, which just seems like. So, what, she went into some kind of coma just before giving birth and then came out of it when she was in the grave. To me, 1902 is very late. And this that was Paris, wasn't it? Paris, yeah. Yeah. Because I know there used to be all sorts of things of, like, you know, attaching bells to people's fingers when you buried them and all that kind of stuff. But that's, like, 1902 is still a very sophisticated society. It's not like medieval plague times where they had to bury the dead quick it's more there was wakes you know you sat around a a coffin for 
a while it was wasn't rushed so I, I find it a bit unlikely yeah and that's fair i do kind of call shenanigans like you said on it but kind of for different reasons just that well i'll get to why it might be true but okay. the same story has essentially been told <laughs> since like the 13th century of a woman being buried alive yeah. and found with a baby in oh her. okay so it's like an urban legend or a, a suburban legend it, an urban legend but also or maybe just something that happened quite a few times so well the first not the as far as i know the first instance of the story a, a german doctor who wrote about it called michael benedict lessing he, he told a story about a swedish girl who died while pregnant and yeah. was buried as normal and one night the caretaker was in the graveyard and he heard groans from beneath the soil being a superstitious man he ran home to bed and hid with a blanket over his face for the night yeah and the next day he just mentioned it to the priest and the priest was like why didn't you tell anyone <laughs> and the priest like ran and got a organized a group to dig up her grave really quickly and they dug up and like the story we just heard they found her in a you know a, a, what, what state would you call it where she was like a clawing or yeah distraught state. a distraught state, state. and more horrifyingly found a, a dead infant with her too oh, yeah. so yeah it's not a it's not a well it's not a new story now but um but is it is it related to some kind of a, a childbirth disease that presents the yeah the symptoms of death or low heartbeat i mean that like terrible doctors at the time go i think she's dead see that's the thing the the way all all these stories pop up as like horrifying stories it's always that she was buried alive woke up in the casket and like burying people were prematurely buried but they tell it as like a normal story she woke up in the casket and then had a baby and then they both suffocated and died yeah that probably rarely if ever happened what probably did happen though is a coffin birth this is a real thing yeah yeah it's like (laughs) that's so interesting in academia it's called post-mortem fetal excrusion so what is is it's as the body's decomposing natural occurring bacteria in the organs just generates a byproduct of metabolism and causes the body to swell up yeah and so all the pressure of the gases pretty much squeeze the uterus, uh, turns it inside out, right, and pushes it out of the vagina. Okay, so... And if you were pregnant when you died, and there was a fetus in, in your womb... Oh, it's probably going to pop out it'd while pop your body out too. Is, Yeah, decomposing. So both bodies are... But both the, the mother and the baby are already dead. Okay, but it's it, a case of... As the body's decomposing... All the gases yeah. and all this. But that makes sense to me. Although, technically, depending on how far along the mother was, like, yeah. if she died, if the baby was due <laughs> that way, if she was nine months pregnant, like, the baby could could still be born. Like, the mother yeah. could be dead and a baby could still be born alive. Right, which could still be survived. Yeah. And that's pretty horrifying. Yes. So, Coffin yeah. birth, still, it's pretty disgusting, and but it's interesting. It's very interesting. So, and like, basically what it is, so I guess the, the gas pressure kind of mimics, like, wh- what what the gases do while the body's decomposing mimics the contractions you'd have while you're alive and giving birth. But, yeah, so it's a good story. <laughs> um, oh, actually, yeah, the, the first case of it is from 1551. Uh, it was a pregnant woman. I guess she was, like, a witch. Uh, she was hung during the Spanish Inquisition. 
and four hours after she was home, as the body was lying from the noose, two infants dropped dropped out of her. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're like, oh, she was definitely a witch. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that only like helped her case. Yeah, and it was covered in a nineteen or eighteen ninety six textbook called "Anomalies and Curiosities of Medicine," and that's where it sort of entered the public consciousness okay. and became a. So, so just give us a quick of the original give us a quick uh, read of the original story there because uh, we just sort of j- dived into it there so what oh we did actually it's yeah, just the headline is it or no yeah no I've got uh, again this is going to be one of those ones that uh, taken from the electronic scan oh yeah so this is from the Fielding Star an extraordinary story is reported from Paris Madame Robin arrived there on board the steamer La Plata from somewhere that's blurred out uh, she was supposed to be suffering from yellow fever and was transferred to the lazarette by order of the officer of health there she became worse and apparently died the body became rigid and the face i can't make out the word the face something and corpse like and the condi- and in that condition she was buried the nurse however noticed that the body was not cold and that there was that there was tremulous in the of the muscles of the oh Wow, uh, this only occurred to me now, of, of the abdomen, and expressed the opinion that Madame Robin was prematurely buried. On this being reported uh, to the father, he had the body exhumed. Uh, when it was found that the child had been born in the coffin, the autopsy showed also that Madame Robin had not contracted yellow fever at all, and had died of asphyxiation. Uh, a, a suit was begun against the health officer, and um, again, now we got jumbled of words. He was recorded eight thousand pounds in damages. All oh, right, right. That's a lot of money back then. Yeah, and that's it. That's yeah. That's definitely eight thousand. We can stay talking about people being buried alive. I think so. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I um, like hearing that now. The actual article there to me, it sounds very much like medical uh, misunderstanding of a specific disease or a condition or something like that. Yeah. Well, like I'm wondering, did she have some kind of? Well, you know the way like with seizures, there's seizures that don't mean you're like shaking around the place like seizures can be the opposite where you go still and then yellow fever like that she could just have a very bad liver from or something you know that she's a bit jaundiced or something they're like oh it's yellow fever well that's the thing i don't know if they like because it it says that uh she she was traveling and stuff like they might have not known she was pregnant so yeah i I never thought about yeah they might just that's a side effect of yellow fever or whatever yeah yeah Yeah, they even described movement of the abdomen well, so maybe maybe she did die, but maybe the bi- baby was alive for a little while. Although that's wh- when I said when I kind of called shenanigans at the start, I I don't call them because of the story, but I call them because of, of the nurses. I think in retrospect, uh, uh, like the nurse might have said stuff that she didn't actually think to begin with. Like like that oh, might yeah, have been okay, yeah. like I think that's going to be a recurring thing with this podcast that. I don't think you can ever trust how things are reported back then. No, because if any of the any of the stuff I've come across, the articles when I like you read an article and then you go and you read up on a historical documentation of, of that incident, and it changes quite a bit from what the original article said, which it does nowadays too. Like, oh yeah, definitely. It it it's takes like people put it into more formal language and stuff. Like yeah, that. yeah, and yeah, and especially like I, I witnessed it accounts are never reliable so i kind of take with a grain of salt the nurse saying that she noticed i mean like obviously she noticed something to want the grave or to like pass on the information that led to the grave being exhumed some of it might have been further exaggerated after she turned out to be right 
But maybe not. Maybe she she was a very good nurse and just noticed all this. Yeah, and and the doctor who's just kind of spent about two minutes as a patient. No, this woman is dead. But mm. apparently, like it was really common back then, because I guess they yeah, well, they obviously didn't understand stuff. Like there was loads of, particularly in German textbook, there was one that uh, John Whitebridge covered. It had a he, he I don't know much about medicine, but he he wrote one of the definitive works of biology or whatever, and he had a whole section about coffin birth. Oh, and, really? Yeah, but it's been in in addition since 1966. It's been taken out, so obviously it's not as important now it is. But the fact <laughs> yeah. that it's dead there until 1966 kind of says something. Yeah. Um, wow. It's, it's quite a long time. Once Batman comes into the mix, it's probably never going to happen because all the yeah, you're not going to get the. The well, gas is building up yeah, all the preservatives that like flush out bacteria of the body are gonna flush out the gas. Yeah, all the, the, all the embalming fluid and stuff like that. It's it's done for that reason. Mm. It's kind of preserving the body, so yeah, you so, decompose slower. And although it, there is cases of it popping up since, like, but in different, like, never. Although when they say coffin birth, and doesn't they don't have to be buried alive for it to happen? It can, no, but yeah, in, in modern times, it's happened with like a lot of crime scenes. In like 2005, there was a, a murder in Panama where like a woman was suffocated with a plastic bag in a field probably by an ex-lover. And yeah, when they found the body, they found a fetus inside her dress. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, right. so she had a coffin birth yeah. a day after she was murdered. So it still happens. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Still quite horrible. That is quite horrible. And it was a story, uh, uh, like a woman that was just found in her apartment, dead on her couch. Oh, yeah. Like, there's a few of those ones. But they make sense. That kind of backs up the thing that it, yeah. it's the body, just, it's part it's of decomposition, de- yeah. basically. So, in conclusion, yes, bearing, being buried alive is terrifying. It definitely You scary. have some uh, more stories of people being buried alive, or supposedly being buried alive, is it? Yeah, well, I don't really have many more stories stories because that's the thing like it sounds like it's a really interesting oh being buried alive it's like fall of the house of usher and all, all these great post stories but really like all the actual stories are all the same somebody told oh you know he might not be dead they dug him up and go, oh he wasn't dead dead now that's how all the stories <laughs> go like they're not that they're, interesting they all have the same format yeah but there's only like, one way to tell that story though isn't there that's it but it's more the or history the, you know the the claw marks on the inside of the coffin yeah but they're scratching but they're all the same it's more the history is kind of interesting kind of well like it, it, that should be the name of our yeah, podcast kind, kind of interesting it's like the opposite of Q- quite interesting kind of it ki that's a great oh why didn't we just do <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is our new podcast ki the reason a lot of people were, were buried alive at one point was because um there was everybody er- liked them well that too but at one point there was only one sign of death and that was the the lack of a heartbeat and breathing i assume no well they, they knew there, there was plenty of things that could like lessen your breathing and it was very hard to measure no it was just a lack of heartbeat but notice it was a sign of death it, they wouldn't announce death based on that classic physicians wouldn't pronounce a death of somebody they would use the lack of a heartbeat as, as a sign that death was inevitable and it was, okay. le- it was left to the family to actually determine if somebody was dead or not okay so the doctor would be like there's no heartbeat and then you're like well then he must be dead right yeah, well, well, I, I have to stay impartial <laughs> <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah well he's covering his ass so when you're leaving family members to determine if somebody's dead or not a lot of the time it works that they probably gonna refuse to believe like it's it's your it's your decision to whether like your loved one's dead you're okay, probably gonna yeah. be like 
no, 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 no they can't be. <laughs> but usually, it, yeah, they would just accept it. Like essentially, the doctor did announce it. Just technically, this is going way back. This is like Roman era. But oh, like, okay, yeah. but right up until like 15th century, it was as far as I know, anyway. But yeah, so so there was this huge uncertainty of death, and that's where they, uh, that's the only reason funerals are delayed. Essentially, comes from there. Like in Rome, they, they'd be delayed for weeks because there was always there was cases of you know people waking up in their funeral pyre being burnt alive. <laughs> oh, lovely! So yeah, it was a big thing in in Rome. But everything we know about the 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 classic cases of being people being buried alive, they're all from like the 19th early 20th century and it kind of it's because it all comes from the fact that like in literature there was so many like all the Edgar Allan Poe stories from the time it's kind of like in the 80s when we had like all the zombie movies because oh, yeah. AIDS was a big thing <laughs> the, um, in the 19th century it's what was popular in fiction was yeah yeah people surviving so yeah but in Roman times it was kind of the same because there was a lot of like well, no, there was a lot of Greek and Arabian novels and stories with people being buried alive, so it then became a big fear of the time as well. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, there's one, re- there's this <laughs> an Arabic novel where a baker eats, t- eats too much bread and dies, <laughs> <laughs> as you do, and on the way on the way to the funeral, like, a doctor insisted on injecting him with a laxative. <laughs> and in the story he's then described of having a volcanic explosion and then he woke up and he was grand <laughs> so it's a strange story yeah I, I, this like, is like I believe I'll inject this laxative into this corpse there was other one like a, a Greek novel Apollonus Prince of Tyre where there's a paranoia where of Sessions on a ship I don't know what he's doing on the ship it's just out having the crack and they find a floating coffin on the sea and like heave it up onto their boat and open it and a woman wakes up in it or they find a woman she's still unconscious but she's clearly alive yeah and yet she was like the daughter of some king who was buried alive or buried at sea buried alive but buried buried at sea alive apparently alive you know what Johnny that's kind of interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it seemed actually because it was just this it was all it was also women that was buried alive there's a like a really popular uh, Greek writing called Charius and Calero, where uh, Charius and Charius is the husband. Anyway, so uh, Charius is tricked into thinking that Calero is cheating on him or has been unfaithful because oh, okay. it's so easy to trick people back in the, back in the day. Oh, and yeah. uh, so he, he he kicks her in the stomach. Well, you know, she was a line. And he kicks her so hard that she lands unconscious, uh, or at the, they think she's dead. Yeah. So she's buried in a tomb. I know he, he's he's still he's quite sad sad about it. He he didn't mean it. Um, he's like I just really wanted to really 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 hurt her. I wasn't trying to kill her. <laughs> Cake in the stomach though. But anyway, just to remember, this is just a novel. This, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this yeah, didn't yeah. happen. This isn't just true. Um, this, this isn't is, from 1902. It's just based on the. Uh, this the is ancient as well. This is yeah. actually this story might be it's the oldest intact piece of prose. That exists in the world. Oh, right, okay. It was by a Charitan of Aphrodisius, who was like a, a, a mid first century writer. But anyway, so uh, yeah, he so he kicks her so hard in the stomach that um, she they think she's dead. So they bury her in the tomb. It's all, all lovely, and she she wakes up there and she cries out, "Oh, I am buried in a tomb through no fault of my own. Such a sad fate, or some crap yeah, yeah. like that." Which she always cry out, and um, 
it's raided by pirates looking for booty not booty booty (laughs) (laughs) and Um, they found booty but and so they find her alive so she should she would be saved but now they take her and sell her into slavery there's more to the story with that i assume she comes back as a heroine and kicks ass Kicks her husband in the stomach really hard. And no, he I think goes like and... the thing is with a lot of writing from that time, that stuff's forget. No, he's still the hero of the piece. Like it's all about oh. him getting her back, and she's sold into slavery with this other guy who's her master, and he's a horror. But you know the 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 guys. He kicks her in the stomach every day, <laughs> not just that one time. No, uh, Charius is still the hero. Like it's weird. It's like in in. But it's back when men were men and women. <laughs> in Odyssey, uh, Odysseus is still like. Like, he's the hero of that story, but he's still, like, a horrible guy. He, like, leads all his men to be... Because he's like, oh, there's a cool island over there I want to go explore. Like, no, but there's, like, monsters there. He's like, technically, you're slaves. Come on. And everybody just dies. So, like, in in Greek writing, like, they're all horrible people, but still portrayed as being a hero. There's another story. Antia is the the heroine of this one. And uh, she's been, like... I don't know if it's arranged marriage or what, but uh, she's ending up with this guy she doesn't want to marry. So much so that uh, she thinks killing herself is a better way out. So she's going to poison herself before the marriage. She just want to marry this guy. So she gets a doctor to uh, get her some poison. And because, you know, he, he starts having second thoughts about it. Because, you know, he took a, an oath in that. So instead of giving her the poison, he, he gives her a sleeping potion. Oh, okay. And, you know, didn't tell anybody. So she took it thinking it's poison. So she ends up buried alive to, just to avoid marrying the suitor. Grave robbers dig up her grave and save her, and she's reunited with her suitor, and she ends up marrying him anyway. I think that's actually how it ends. I might be wrong, but something okay, like and that. And he's the hero of the story because he didn't cheat on her <laughs> when she was. He presumed she was dead. The moral <laughs> of all these stories is that, like, if you don't marry the guy, you're going to get buried alive, and if you give him cheek, you're going to get buried alive. Like, <laughs> also, it's to keep women in their place. Kind of like, I don't know. There's there's weird, yeah, weird tones to it. Okay, to move to like, but they're all just stories. They're there's very little evidence of it's way too far back to go to find people that are actually buried alive oh, yeah. but it, there's ones earlier than this but i just really like this one from the 15th century uh, thomas van kempen actually thomas a kempy because he, he was a priest that was his his priest name he was like a, a canon regular that were kind of like monks but not as uh not as lonerish i guess i think he wrote the imitation of christ that's what he's known for but he was denied canonization to be a saint because when did he he, then decide to haunt an island in scotland (laughs) this is even better because when they exhumed his grave they found scratch marks in his casket so he'd obviously been buried alive now why would that mean he was excluded from being a saint wouldn't that count as one of your miracles no that meant well they're they're thinking at the time was well, if he was a devout, faithful man, why would he not have been happy about dying and going to heaven? Essentially, <laughs> it was the fact that he tried to escape his like his tomb oh, meant okay. that he wasn't devout. It's so. like he didn't want to go to heaven. It's yeah, like you should have just lay back and embraced your your impending doom if you truly believed in God. Essentially, yeah, and then it gets weirder in like the seventeenth century. Now, you're going to have to just... There's not much to say about this. It's just crazy uh, thinking of the time. In the 17th century, Christian Frederick Garman wrote a book called The Miraculous Mortorum, which Miraculous Mortorum, Miracles of the Dead. And this is about just, like, strange things that were observed happening to corpses after being buried. So, like, this gave examples of corpses that grew in size. 
uh, moved, <laughs> laughed, or wept, whose expressions changed, whose hearts kept beating even after dead. We talk about soldiers with erections after they were killed in battle, screaming skulls, groans from a coffin, though when opened, the body had completely putrefied. There's this popular story that kept being told in this book called uh, The Lady with the Ring, and it's essentially the same stories we've just talked about. Only she was wearing a particular fancy ring when she was buried, so grave robbers were wanted to go after her. Yeah, when there. they cut off her finger to get the ring, and as they cut it, she woke up and screamed, and then they died of fright. Nice. It's a good story, but um, yeah, all that weird stuff with sc- screaming skulls uh, and bodies that grew after they died. Like, th- this is legitimately treated as an actual thing. Okay. I, I have no idea why like obviously none of it can be true but yeah there was other other like a, a Michael Raft wrote uh, oh it's such a long winded name a treaty concerning the screaming and chewing of corpses in their grave that's an actual science te- textbook <laughs> uh, and in that he agrees with uh, Garman that this phenomenon was supernatural and it was a bad omen to warn against famine wow and that was 1734 yeah, I can't, it, it's insane that that existed, but like, it but, sounds cool. It sounds like a Tim yeah. Burton invention. But. Right. but actually, screaming coffins and a totally putrefied corpse, I can understand because there's build up of gases, gases trying to escape, maybe the coffin. Mm. You know, that I can understand. Well, that's actually like a lot of the growls, like, like methane explosions. Oh, they yeah. reckon was actually what accounted for a lot of the noise you'd hear from a coffin. But plus, like when, when they found, found cases of people being buried alive and they found that the coffin had broken a little through like them hammering it to get out. It was probably a methane explosion that oh, just okay, yeah. lifted the lid a little. Because um, yeah. we release methane when we're alive. But so that ridiculous stuff, that's still 17th century or no, that's 18th century. But that's that's ridiculous side of things. I'm sure there's loads of writing out there. On Google Books, you can probably get the original. I'm sure, yeah, the original text is probably out there. But, like, in the 18th century, there was physicians that were legitimately concerned about people being buried alive, particularly women that suffered from hysteria. Ah, It was a big concern, apparently. Because around this time, like, you you had all the the stories we just talked about that had the morals. I won't call them morals, but... (laughs) Yeah messages of stay with your man <laughs> or be well, buried alive a lot of them started to sort of pop back up but like were rejigged and there was uh two french writers jacques benin winslow or winslow and john jacques bruher bruher i don't know i can't speak french he wrote a book on the uncertainty of death and it just became that's where all this took off like it, it was this huge i don't know if you'd call it a hit yeah it was widely read there was like one guy Anton Lewis, who was this like young guy, he's only like twenty one, and he disputed it. But he was so young that they were like, "Oh, what do you know?" Yeah, yeah pretty much. And and like he was, like he called John Jacquey uh, like a horror monger. Like he was re- like he was like Richard Dawkins, the way Richard Dawkins is with religious people. Oh, okay. uh, and this Anton Lewis guy was like that. So he came after him so harsh that people were like. Yeah, you just got a vendetta, like you, you. Dude, what's your problem? But so, so John Jacquey's book became really popular, and also around this time, like a lot of these propaganda pamphlets started coming up. In 1752, in France, the first sort of horror mongering pamphlet called <laughs> "The Terrible and Cruel Despair of People Presumed Dead but Who Are Buried Alive," <laughs> <laughs> uh, started popping up. So yeah, it was like kind of in 
in France around this time, like 18th century is where like it really took off and it just spread across Europe and it was this big fear. Have you ever heard of hospitals for the dead? Hospitals for the dead? Yeah. No. Sounds cool though. Uh, it's, it's kind of like <laughs> Led Zeppelin or a, uh, was it an oxymoron? Well, hospitals for the dead. Um, sort of popped up in Germany in 1887. They're also called waiting morgues. So at that, you probably have a bit better idea of what they oh, were. Okay. So it started when a, a French doctor, he published a paper with claims about, pretty much claimed that like people, most people didn't actually die until hours after. Not just like, he wasn't just talking about people that are buried alive, but just most cases, you don't die until hours after your heart you, stops. Or yeah, after you show the signs of death. So he produ- he proposed that they build special mortuaries f- to to protect still sentient corpses. And so in 1890, uh, a German guy called this th- young guy too, he's like under 30, called Christoph Wilhelm Hoffland, and he was a physician who who built the asylum for the doubtful. <laughs> I think his full name like yeah. the Vite Dubai Asylum, the asylum for the doubtful. Yeah. So what it was it was a, a like, storage area for corpses. And you leave them for just to make sure days or whatever. Yeah, it was like it, 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 he pretty much had the the general rule in this place was that putrefaction was the only sign of death. So wow. until that happened, so they had these corpse rooms. Yeah, it was just like a room where you leave an individual corpse in, and had a viewing window, and it would a, an attendant would just look through the window and monitor it and wait for signs of death. And there was like a central heating throughout the building and it ran under the floor of the corpse room also they'd heat them to yeah it would encourage qu- it would quit if you were dead it would quicken up the right. de- decomposition oh that's really clever yeah and like his reason for it was like he, he just wanted them to catch on because he had a really low opinion of classical morgues and mainly their workers like the, the intendants there he just called them immoral and stupid and he told of a female attendant in a morgue who while on duty she she saw a guy who was brought in a, a dead man who was brought in she saw him crawl from his <laughs> his well he wouldn't have been in a casket wherever you're storing yeah. she saw him crawl from there and her she saw this and she picked up a broom and beat him and yelled go back to hell you de-, or whatever like she got yeah. angry she was like you don't belong here and uh, she she beat him to death so he's still alive. <laughs> he was a guy who was like brought in there by mistake, like an, uh, a premature burial case, and she saw him and just assumed it was a demon. A, a demon, back yeah. It was like Huffenland just didn't like didn't like idiots, and he he thought the the waiting morgues were going to be a solution to that, but they kind of didn't catch on because most people were dead. I assume. Um, like apparently they did work. Like there was a lot of in. It might be one of the only cases, but there were people brought in. But I think just, I mean, wait, it's just a ridiculous idea. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine it costed a fortune, like only the super rich would. Yeah, be able be, to avail of it. Like yeah. Everything we've discussed now still is all centered around just fear and myth and no actual <laughs> cases, really. Yeah, like, it's extremely rare. And like, there is, there is real cases. Like, it, yeah, and obviously, but the fear has to come from somewhere, you know. But most of it is just it's just taken out of control but like in the 19th century there was an argument that the number of people because you know again definitely was people buried alive the only way to know they were being buried alive though is just by complete luck yeah by saving them or 
decades after their grave might be exhumed just to move them to a new graveyard or whatever that happened quite a bit still happens and they would find them in a state of despair or whatever but so there was an argument that uh, the people falsely diagnosed as being dead and saved by luck meant that obviously a far greater number wouldn't have been saved yeah because like you, you only got lucky to save them so yeah so there was this guy john snart and he claimed for every one saved by sheer luck 1,000 would have had to have died. Wow. Just <laughs> for, for you to find any meant it was extremely lucky, which meant, yeah. statistically, there has to be a lot more. Yeah. And there was a German doc, uh, a military doctor who reckoned that a third of those buried, well, like, buried during the war, were buried alive. And so he reckoned, altogether, it would have been 10% of his countrymen. Wow. <laughs> which now, you got to say, okay, they might have actually been alive when they were buried, but they probably weren't going to last much longer than that anyway. It might have just been premature burial. But still, it's yeah. quite high. That is insanely high. And in England, this guy J.C. Owsley taught that 2,700... And like, now I'm just saying these as bullet points facts, but these these were ones that were actually... They studied it and came... Like, they, they didn't pull these figures out of their asses. Yeah. I'm just quoting them out of my ass. Um, so <laughs> this Englishman, he... he uh, he stated that 2,700 people per annum were buried alive in England. Uh, in America, they reckon 2% were buried alive. But like, and these are all like, these are solids. This is genuinely what they reckon. So this isn't, yeah. this isn't myth. This is like officially as, what they, and it's, it might still be wrong, but as best they could conclude at the time, it's what they thought. But then of course there was like the media loved it at the time. And there was all stories popping up. Like every week a newspaper covered a story about somebody being buried alive. They, they, they jumped to conclusions and normally just ended with that, the line, only too apparent that the exhumed wretch must have been buried alive. But <laughs> <laughs> they always ended with that. But, yeah. you know, most discoveries were exaggerations. That poor I, wretch. <laughs> but here's the thing, because, like, when they find them long after they were buried and, and assume that they were buried alive, it's normally because they had that, like, expression on their face, the expression of agony and the hands up, like... But that contorted face, that's just muscles breaking down. Oh, okay. Yeah, after yeah. you die, like any corpse will look like that. We're so used now. We, you know, we've all been to funerals and we've seen open caskets and everybody looks so peaceful. And we yeah. sit down like that's peaceful, but that isn't peaceful. That's ugly. Right, like, it's like rotting yeah, flesh. We, that's the whole point. We have undertakers that treat them. <laughs> they, they, they look peaceful because they're meant to look peaceful. But you leave a body na- yeah. like little naturally succumb to that the muscles are going to break down it's going to look horrible <laughs> like and then there was all those stories about the screaming skulls oh yeah yeah and all that like and they'd always have these stories of you know like corpses who like remember saying like corpses who ate at their shrouds and at their fingers and stuff okay and, like, and that was crazy stuff but then people actually write like you're buried alive and you wake up you might go mad and eat your fingers but um th- there's a way to explain that away and most of the ones they found like just rats Oh, okay, just yeah. rats that got into the casket just ate part of the the body yeah, yeah. and then like we said about the gas you, you were saying about the gases that sounded like groans yeah so like a lot of the crazy things to happen to people that were buried alive were just part of the natural yeah like uh, just stuff to explain them. That's part not, of the chorus and that's not to say that there weren't there, there was loads of people buried alive but there's also misunderstandings yeah, of uh, decomposition like, and it was probably never as prominent as as we want to believe but yeah, <laughs> and there's that thing like hearing a groan from uh, a coffin, like 
I mean, I was out in the kitchen earlier and I couldn't hear you talking to me with the door shut. Like, I'm not sure if I could hear somebody six feet underground. No, in a box. Yeah, six feet under soil. And even if they buried them only four feet under soil, then it still doesn't... Yeah. Hard. Like during, and you wouldn't hear a slight groan. You'd hear somebody, maybe you'd hear somebody like screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. During the Industrial Revolution, when you had like loads of people moving to the city for jobs. Yeah. And like the city kind of couldn't, like, well, this only really in England, in London. And the city couldn't really sustain them. And also you had like outbreaks at the time and stuff. So it meant like more things killing people off really rapidly, but then also you had more people coming to the city. So oh, yeah. you had more people to get it. You had more people to die, which means less room in the graveyard. So two things happened with that. They kind of could lend credence to the whole people being discovered buried alive. And this also like 1850. This around the time there's a spike in apparent cases of people being buried oh, of alive. Course, yeah. So two things happen because of that. It means you have dis- outbreaks of diseases, so people have to be buried quicker. quicker. So less time to check to make sure they're dead. Yeah. Also because there's so many people, what they started doing then, they would stack people. Oh, okay. Yeah, you have more people being buried alive because they might not be taking the time to... D- double check. <laughs> yeah, and then also you have people maybe only buried two foot underground. So you oh, might be more yeah, they're closer. Them. So like things like that, there there might be... Plus, you know, there was people hitting people to death with rooms <laughs> and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, the, like, how did ch- like, the new ways to check for death around the 19th century, one of them was a smoke enema, blow smoke up your ass. And that's where the phrase comes from, isn't it? I'm not sure. I still don't know. I don't know how that works. There was also stuff like cutting a defeat, like they'd cut you on the heel. Oh, okay. There's a no- nerve ending there, I guess. It probably like seems right. And heard a lot. Um, stuff like sticking a spike in a toenail. The stake through the heart was another way to uh, test for death. <laughs> really? Well, this, it was called like you know, if they, if they ain't dead, kill them. I suppose, yeah. Put 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 the poor wretch out of his misery. Yeah. <laughs> the best test. I don't know how you describe it, but they had tube. The, there was tubes around the frame of the coffin, and so when the coffin was nailed shut, the nails would burst the tubes and poison would be released into the coffin and <laughs> it would poison just to make sure it. just to make sure which is a good one to wrap up pretty much in, in 1905 William Tebb he, who founded the London Association for the Prevention of Premature Burial he uh, wrote a book well he, he he done a survey and he recorded 219 cases of near live burial 10 cases of live dissection and two cases of awakening during embalming. Oh. So he wrote a premature burial and how it may be for prevented in 1905. And that's on Google Books. Well, we didn't talk about safety coffins at all, but... Oh, yeah, where you have a bell on a string attached to your finger and that kind of stuff. George Washington was afraid of being buried alive. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on his deathbed, he told him to make sure to keep him above ground for a few days and do all the tests to make sure he wasn't yeah. it's like make sure <laughs> <laughs> what the um the, we might as well we've been talking long enough we might as well finish it off yeah so uh yeah the safety coffins you, everybody yeah, you yeah. know about them yeah there was, there's uh, uh, i think it was more early to mid 1800s 1850s kind of a phenomenon and of course it was amongst the rich as usual mm-hmm. and they would do things like they would attach bells 
like on a little stand outside your coffin and attached to a string going down into the ground and it, they strap it to your finger but mm. how long it stayed there or what i'm not too sure i'd say they probably left it for about a week or whatever and, and they there was other mad contraptions that's only one i can think of this uh this german guy had like it, it was pretty much that classic version of the bell but he had perfected it to to the extent where he had he done tests he buried himself alive like a couple of dozen times just to prove wow. <laughs> just to prove how, how how good his one was and he had a tube where like he was he had meals sent down to him through the tube and lived in the coffin and uh, he done a houdini on it or a david plane <laughs> yeah. um but there was also like and these ones like this might be the coolest one like portable debt chambers <laughs> which sounds like a nazi thing but no, they were... that's, that's like a great name for a band the portable death chamber what's their band um <laughs> it was a it was just like this small chamber it was essentially like it's hard to describe in like the audio medium but it was just like this chamber that was like put over a grave so it was like this iron box where you were yeah. left in and it was put over your grave and your body just lay there and had a viewing window in it oh okay and you could see the body de- if it decomposed and yeah. if the body decomposed, you just hit a latch, a door oh. underneath the chamber opens oh, up, you and you dropped into the... And then there was these other ones that kind of look more like fallout shelters, where they're like standing tombs, and you you slide in there, like in the, the way you would in the morgue, and they yeah. have a lock on the inside, so if you wake up, you can get out. That bell, just going back to the bell one, it was also, you know, the way they had the, the string on the finger and all that? Yeah. We talked about, like, how the body changes naturally with, like, the build-up of gases. Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah your your arms, like, once we get more... Well, there's, yeah, there's, there's post, uh, post-mortem uh, spasms and mm. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, so they would also... They, you'd get all these false alarms. But despite, despite the fear of being buried while still alive, there's actually no documented case of anybody ever been saved by a safety coffin oh really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's never happened yet they're still used today and you have like yeah. the modern version with like it you can get on facebook inside and uh, it was patented by somebody in 1995 as well <laughs> i don't know who but... <laughs> 1995 <laughs> yeah. well, that, that happens with patents like oh yeah like, wasn't there a thing like gene simmons from kiss like realized that nobody had ever patented uh, OJ for orange juice. Like, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and yeah. so he just patented. <laughs> so now, funny yeah. orange juice company prints OJ. He he gets some kickback. Yeah, there's that popular urban myth as well that those safety coffins with the bell. That's where Saved by the Bell comes from. Oh yeah, yeah, which is wrong. Not yeah. true. It actually comes from the obvious place of boxing, literally. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like, it's Saved by the Bell. Yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. But it's so obvious to think, oh, but no, they have to have taken it from somewhere. But no, it came in the 30s with boxing. Yeah. But yeah, that's really all there is to be said about being well, buried alive. I think that's a good uh, conclusion to our podcast there. And well, Do you want to conclude just yet? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, do you have a few minutes? Do you want to hear some other items from the news from... Yeah, go on, yeah. What this isn't... The, you know, these are quick ones. This just to get a laugh out of you. This is why I thought this was going to be a funny podcast. <laughs> yeah, it seemed very morbid and serious. It was... Uh, well, you like this. On this week in 1902, the term School of Hard Knocks was coined. Oh, yeah. Shane likes that because he, he made a certificate for both of us <laughs> back, like, what, eight, like seven years ago? <laughs> yeah, we have degrees um, from the University of Hard Knocks. But it was, which the joke was, if you were good enough at graphic design to make that, then you should have gotten a degree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
I forgot that was actually the the idea behind it. It appeared in a in a piece in Cosmopolitan magazine. Also, Popular Mechanics. It's it's first publication was this week. Actually, a little after it was January eleventh. But oh, well, no, that's essentially still this week. And you know that still exists today. There's also a podcast, the Popular Mechanics Show. But you know that was it. That's a kind of that's a cool thing because that's like an innovation of like modern science and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you can get almost every issue of that, or at least like an, a pretty complete archive of issues from 1905 to 2005 is available of that on Google Books. You will like this. This this is this is going to be the best best part of the podcast. This comes from the Cumberland Paquette from 9th of January. And this is what people want to know. Now, we're so used to having Google. There was a time yeah. where if you wanted to know something... You had to go to a library. You had to go to university for several years. <laughs> or... <laughs> ask a priest. Or you wrote to the Cumberland Paquette and asked them. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so this is their answers. Or, the, like, now if you Google something, it'd be a Google answer. So it's just... And, like, there was a huge list... Uh, I just took a few of them. So, yeah, I'll just read through them. So, uh, Shane, the distance from Liverpool to New York is 3,100 miles. What? 3,170 miles. <laughs> okay. That was what somebody wanted to know that. Yeah. It was actually a bit off. I, che- I checked it. It's actually 3,306 miles. Ooh. But pretty close. I mean, I had Google Maps. And I don't know what point in Liverpool there. Like, Did you count it? <laughs> you go I, to Google I, Maps and count how many miles there are per inch or something? I like? literally just Googled Liverpool. Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another one is that somebody wanted to know, and the answer is, the law is that a debitor is bound to provide the paper and writing materials and stamp for the receipt, but the creditor is bound to pay him for the stamp. <laughs> what? I don't <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well... I don't think we should go any further with that. No, that's... Um, that's I'd love to know. So this is, you don't actually have the questions, you just have the answers. No, they just have a list of what people want to know. And that's this brilliant. is just the answers. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's funny. <laughs> Marriage with a deceased wife's sister is illegal in Great Britain and Ireland. It is illegal in nearly all of our colonies. And numerous attempts have been made to induce Parliament to accept the legalisation of such colonial marriages in this country. But up to present, without success. So you can't if you're married your wife dies you can't you, mar- you can't marry her sister yeah and then uh this is the last one a man sentenced to servitude for life would be released after serving 20 years provided his conduct was good while in prison wow so a life sentence is 20 years of yeah good behavior i can say go on this is uh the same paper this is the this is the gossip and personnel section from that same paper <laughs> okay Really quick rundown of what the gossip was. Uh, Captain, <laughs> Captain Bragg has been confined to his house in Basin White since Friday last when he was suddenly taken ill. <laughs> this is a news story. <laughs> Mr. J. Wright Kiko had an accident in Tangier Street on Saturday morning through his hearse slipping and falling. Wow. You know the way, like, if you, you're wondering what somebody you went to school with is doing nowadays, you, you looked him up on Facebook. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. Well, one once upon a time, you wrote it in newspaper, <laughs> of course, <laughs> and you asked him like, oh, "What's she been doing this these days?" <laughs> <laughs> so it's like there's no kind of anonymous way to do it, like. Yeah. And so the newspaper put this out there: news wanted for Sarah L- Ellen Milburn, last heard of at Bishop Auckland County, Durham, 
about 60 or about 1868 also of kate sister of above who left whitehaven cumberland to work in the mills in lancashire should this meet the eye of anyone knowing their whereabouts news would be thankfully received by their brother john milbron it's <laughs> 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 like is that the kind of awkward moment of like they left their uh address for you to write to them and then you lost it or you threw it in the fire one night by accident and then you're like, oh, so then you have to write the paper, <laughs> even though it's like 20 years later and you're embarrassed about it. I was reading that and it was already funny, but once I got to the thankfully received by their brother, it's like, <laughs> yeah. is that what happened back then? And also Shane, Mrs. Elizabeth Wilmot of South Lincolnshire, she celebrated her 102nd birthday last week. She is healthy and active and can do many things which would embarrass people a whole 20 years her junior (laughs) (laughs) she is fond of knitting and sewing because i guess to be fair that's what people 20 years her junior are fond of too yeah Uh, and not long ago people in their 80s (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah. and yeah she and and not long ago she took a prize for needlework at the local industrial exhibition she was born in 1800 yeah that's incredible there's one more when when you when you said embarrassing and then pause i was waiting for you to be like on the dance floor or something like you know <laughs> to throw no. in something like okay there is one thing we we can't leave undone killed by a thai soldier oh yes the tragic tale that all i know is from reading the headlines earlier of a boy killed by a toy soldier the soldier didn't become sentient or anything. No, the the child was called Lawrence oh. Cusack, a three year old child who was playing in his home in Brighton and playing with his toy soldiers and tripped on the carpet and fell on one of the tiny swords no that the way. soldier was holding, and it went into his neck. <gasps> yeah, he bled out and died. That is crazy. Yeah, of course they were probably real tin soldiers. Is he then or metal? Yeah. I did like I looked this up. Or did you know what? They were probably poisonous lead, and they were going to kill him anyway. Eventually, because he probably put them in his mouth a lot. That is awful. But just the headline—it <laughs> makes for a funny headline, and it's all like yeah. it, I won't make light of it if it happened. Well, I won't make. I'm not really making light of it anyway. But no. the headline was funny. But yeah, no, it's a like, sad he'd story. Be like 115 years old by now. Yeah, it's oh, a horrible way to go. It probably took a long time to bleed out. Yeah. See, so he's probably left unsupervised in a room playing or whatever, you know. Kids playing in the room, you check them every like 10 minutes. Might yeah, have taken yeah. him nine minutes to bleed out like the second you walked <laughs> out of the room. One more thing. <laughs> <laughs> you said you had no research for this. Well, this is so much. But this is literally, this is me just reading the articles I think are funny. Okay. and this is me just trying to make you laugh at this point <laughs> yeah. but i think you'll like this one and again this is electronic scanned so there's uh the headline to this article this is a quick article don't worry marriage and misery in london divorce court evidence was heard in a petition presented by mrs adams wife of mr j h adams a champion cyclist and manager of a cycle company for its separation on the grounds of her husband's cruelty mr adams went into uh see it's cut out he went into something that's bo and then everything else is cut out and said to his wa- oh you know it's probably box box in the court yeah probably so oh, okay, he, he yeah, went yeah. into a box 
and said that his wife had frequently abused him in the presence of his secretary and clerks. <laughs> she had more than once followed him to railway stations and taken hold of his coattails in order to prevent him from leaving without her. He was, af- <laughs> <laughs> he was afraid to invite friends for dinner as he was never certain of his wife's temper. <laughs> this <laughs> this state of affairs had existed since three or four months after their marriage. A servant said she she had seen Mrs. Adams knock off her husband's hat <laughs> and kick it about the hall, but it seemed to be six of one and half a dozen of the other. That was the servant's quote. Another servant stated that Mrs. Adams used to get into dreadful passions and clear the mantelpiece mantelpiece of ornaments. Once there was a tremendous row about money and Mrs. Adams got into a violent passion and tore up a pink blouse. <laughs> and that's the entire story. So. Kind of say like the the knocking off his hat just sounds like so such like old school bullying. That's just hilarious. So that was the news from the second week of January, nineteen oh one. And you were listening to yesteryear's news today. And you will hear us next week in a new year. We'll see you in the future. You mean the past? <laughs> 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 Subscribe to us on iTunes, rate us, and tune in to us every Friday for more of yesterday's news today.